You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association. Hello, I'm Tommy Boland, Agricultural Science Association President. In today's episode, I'm joined by Professor Lawrence Jalou, Head of Agriculture and Grassland Research and Innovation Programme in Chagas. Lawrence was also the first recipient of the ASA Fellowship Award. In this episode, we talk to Lawrence about his career within Chagas, which started out in economic modelling and has more recently moved over into sustainability and greenhouse gas emissions and life cycle analysis. Lawrence talks to us about his upbringing in West Clare, his interest in dairy production and the central role the dairy sector has played in the evolution of the Irish agri-food sector. On behalf of the Agricultural Science Association, I would like to thank Lawrence for his contribution to the podcast and wish himself and his family continued health and success. So, Lawrence, you're very welcome. Thanks, Tommy. Lawrence, I'm sure you're well known to everybody listening to us t- today, but you might just give a little bit of background to your career and your progression in the agri-food industry. Yeah, from, from County Clare, from North Clare, uh, Kilfenora, went to Waterford uh, IT first, uh, did a search in Waterford and then went uh, transferred from there to UCD. Uh, finished in, in 99, which is a long time ago now. Um, and uh, from there, started a PhD and uh, here in Moorpark and with Michael Wallace uh, and Miles Rat in UCD. And essentially, uh, whether good or bad, I've never left uh, here uh, in Moorpark since. So, Lawrence, there, you've mentioned a number of names, let it be institutions or people who are synonymous with the, with the dairy sector and the agri-food sector in Ireland, Miles Rath, uh, who, who we all know from, from UC, uh, uh, Michael Wallace, and obviously Chagas Park. So, a very good grounding in, in the economics and the science of dairy production. Yeah, and sure, like, you know, if we go back to, to, to UCD and we go back to Miles, you know, I think we all have fond memories of Miles' lectures and... Uh, you know, the way he instilled a very strong etiquette of work and, and love for, for, you know, education from, from, from UCD. And then I suppose Michael was probably someone that I got to know in the latter part of, you know, my, my period in, in UCD. And he was very strong on the modeling, uh, which was a good combination to have. Um, and yeah, so, so very fond memories of my time in UCD. So coming from Kilfenora, you know, yeah. very well renowned for their traditional music and maybe not so well renowned for, for as being a centre of dairy production, but now you're you're certainly, you know, in the middle of dairy production and dairy research. So, you know, what drove you towards the dairy industry? Where did that interest span from? I suppose at the time we were we were dairy farming at home, um, very strong love of uh, agriculture. So, you know, I suppose that's where, 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 it, where it came from. You know, obviously, you know, Kilfenora is, is, is a long way from, from Warpark in terms of, of, of soil type. But you'd be surprised even, even within that, you know, region of North Clare, there's a very strong distinction whether you go east or west of Kilfenora. You know, uh, west of Kilfenora, you're into very heavy marl type soils, you know, not so free draining. And, and east of Kilfenora, then you have very free draining and very similar to Moorpark actually in terms of, of soil type. So, you know, the one big lesson for me uh, across that is that, you know, you know, soil type is different across country, but also the management is probably the most important thing. You know, differences in management and how you manage with what you have is probably key to driving differences in performance and profitability at farm level. And, you know, if we look at all our data from the different studies, you know, we have massive regional differences in terms of soil type and quality, but that doesn't come across in terms of profitability or productivity or performance. So management is hugely important in driving differences between farms. Absolutely. And 
so you, you went to UCD, you went to UIT, you went to UCD, you completed your PhD, and you know then you joined uh, the, the research staff in 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 Chagas and in Moorpark and. I suppose I would have got to know you originally on from your from your modeling work, yeah. your, your your economic modeling, and that has evolved on to into bioeconomic yeah. modeling and then to to sustainability and emissions. Yeah. So you know how how has that work progressed over time? Yeah, you know I suppose if you go back twenty years ago, the focus was mainly economics. It really and it's probably you know not so smart to say it now, but it's true. You know the sustainability focus wasn't there, wasn't as strong. Um, so, so, so the big focus of most of the questions we were asking was what's the impact on economics. But now, and and over the last you know ten years, that focus has changed. Economics being key, but I suppose we're also looking at the environmental and other sustainability indicators. You know, what's the impact on greenhouse gases? What's the impact on nitrate leaching? What's the impact on other environmental indicators? You know, these are really important now as we look at our systems and you know our license to farm is going to be driven uh, by a lot of these indicators but you know i suppose at the end of the day if we're not profitable it's very hard to make some of these other decisions uh, that we need to on the farm to make the farm more you know environmentally sustainable so for me uh, economic sustainability is still key and that allows us um to to look at look at other things i suppose the other thing is that as we look at our systems we can't allow our systems to be, um, you know, negative on the environment. So, so there's a combined focus there between the overall economics and environmental sustainability. Absolutely, and and I think the the conversation now is very much around the environmental sustainability. But it's really important not to lose focus of the um, of the economic sustainability and the social sustainability of of production as well. Absolutely, and and I suppose locally, to a large degree, the things that we're you know looking at. Uh, to increase the environmental sustainability, in essence, also increase the, the, the economic sustainability. Things like, for example, the EBI, our economic breeding index in, in, in dairy cows. We know that, you know, every euro increase in EBI is going to increase profitability by maybe two euros. But we also know that every euro increase in EBI will also reduce the carbon footprint. So, you know, where we really need to get to is that happy place where we can combine both. And, you know, by increasing your economic sustainability, you're also increasing your environmental sustainability. And interestingly, when you look at the uh, National Farm Survey and look at the stats nationally, you can clearly see strong relations that the farms that have the most you know, profit per hectare per unit of product, also generally have the lowest carbon footprint per unit of product. So again, that's really reassuring in what we what we do overall. And, you know, maybe to stay with the carbon for a moment, and we'll expand out beyond this in, in a little while, but to stay with the carbon for a moment, we, we, we know we're efficient in Ireland in terms of the, the amount of carbon we emit per, per kilo of milk or per kilo of beef. But our inventory, when we look at the total emissions nationally, agriculture actually has quite a large contribution to our total national greenhouse gas emissions. So where do we strike the balance between efficiency and total emissions? Yeah, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's really important. You know, I suppose, again, over the last, you know, 10 years, the focus has very much been on efficiency to reduce the carbon footprint, you know, of the produce that we produce. So... You know, you know, we have a strong story there. We're probably one of the lowest in the world in, in dairy and, 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 and close to it in terms of the beef side. So that's that's a very good starting point. Um, but unfortunately, you know, as we as we as the, this debate has continued, um, it's very much total emissions we're looking at now from a national point of view. Uh, and that means that, you know, some of the, the decisions that uh, you'd make at farm level uh, would be slightly different in terms of reducing overall emissions. So so, you know, we. 
we have to consider both as we go forward. So we need to be able to reduce the carbon footprint, which is going to be really important in the competitiveness when we talk about international markets. But we also need to talk about the overall emissions. And, you know, the big question comes, you know, Irish emissions have increased. The Irish emissions have increased because, you know, we've had expansion because of constraints. And, you know, when we think of policy and different policies, you know, milk quotas were in place for a very long time. Um, and they probably put a false ceiling on what the dairy industry could do in Ireland. Uh, and essentially what, you know, once those milk quotas come off uh, and, and we go back to the, you know, national policy around food harvest, um, that expansion was to be expected. And I think you make a very important point there, Lawrence, that Irish farmers have shown a very good track record and a very good tradition of responding to a signal. Yep. And I presume you can see that as well into the future in terms of addressing the sustainability challenge. 100%. Like if we if we look at even some of the early stats that are coming back from the National Farm Survey around the number of farmers that are using, for example, one of our key technologies, protected urea, I think it's it's over 20% now, increasing from, you know, virtually nothing two to three years ago. Um, and, you know, the proportion of protected urea used on each of these farms is also increasing, even with the, you know, um, I suppose, confused fertilizer market that we have at the moment. So, you know, the use of uh, these technologies. Another example is trailing shoe. You know, I think about 70% of dairy farmers now spread virtually all of their, um, you know, organic manure, their, their slurry using trailing shoe or low emission slurry technology. So there is clear evidence that, you know, farmers do take on example, uh, take on technologies. Another example might be the, the EBI. You know, we've, you know, we've, we've started 20 years ago with the EBI and we're gone to a stage now where like no one questions the currency of the EBI. So, Farmers are very good at, 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 I suppose, reacting to 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 signals and to uh, industry needs. So we're sitting here today in, in Moor Park uh, having this having this chat, and you know, in in your current job now, you're head of animal and grassland research and innovation uh, here in in Chaga. So, you know, how have you seen the shift in the research focus in the last decade or so? Yeah, and you know, I suppose across all of us we um in the research that we do in in, in organizations like 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 chagas or indeed in in ucd we 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 have to react to the funding available at any particular time so you know um there is definitely a change and an increase in the amount of you know for example greenhouse gas type work that's being done now and that's really good because you know if we look over the last you know between probably 2007 eight and and 2000 and you know 16 to 18, we weren't doing very much enteric methane work. Um, and that's ramping up with both in UCD and, and with ourselves and, and other groups. Uh, and that's really important because, you know, when we stand back from enteric methane, we might have thought in the past that there wasn't a whole lot we could do about it, but I think we were, we were wrong. You know, the more we look at it and we look at our own literature and what we're, we're developing, what, you know, is coming from UCD and other groups, uh, it's clear that, you know, grass-based systems and grazing and grass quality and different parts of the grass have a really big impact on enteric methane. So I think there's loads of, there's lots of opportunities here around grass quality, around genetics that we can start building our, our work on. And, you know, I think to be fair, um, the funding streams are starting to come. The investment is starting to come in, in you know, organizations like ourselves and, and indeed probably yourselves, you know, there is significant investment following uh, these industry challenges. 
as a good researcher, it'd be remiss of us to let the opportunity pass to call for more research funding. So we obviously need to, to heavily invest in this area to help address the substantial challenge that are facing our, our industry and facing the individual farmer on the ground who has to actually be the person who implements these new technologies. Absolutely. And, and like, you know, for me, we need to, we need to, there's probably three things we need to do. Uh, first of all, the technologies that are out there, example, protected urea, example, clover, uh, those technologies, we need to work really hard to get them taken up. Um, because like that's the first step. They're the technologies. They're the early wins that are there. Get farmers to take up them technologies, and you know the impact. You know, just take the the idea of moving from can-based fertilizers to protected urea-based fertilizers, um, could reduce uh, emissions by you know six seven hundred thousand tons, and then moving further then and going to reducing chemical fertilizers somewhat, uh, we could get another point. You know, half a million tons. So there is a substantial saving in emissions by changing that fertilizer type. The next part of that will be to find new solutions. So whether that's around, the, you know, for example, you know, grass quality and how we manage our grasses or grass species, or how we uh, maybe even feed our animals, for example, is there additives that are gonna give us um, some reductions or even genetics. Uh, finding the next set of solutions that um, farmers can implement, that's probably uh, our that's where we're, that's the journey we're on now. That's the that's our challenge for the next uh, couple of years. So is that you know uh, we can place the industry uh, have a roadmap for the industry, I suppose, to to be able to achieve um, those targets that are set out in front of farmers. And as we walked around uh, earlier this morning here in Moor Park to see some of the technologies that are now in place to aid the management of 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 animals and dairy cows, but also to to measure those emissions that that we talk of, and it's it's really interesting to hear you say that it's it's a combination of a number of different strategies. I think maybe fifteen years ago the thought was we're going to find one solution, one silver bullet, and I think everybody's fairly come to the point that that's not going to happen. So it's about the incremental improvements, but the need for that infrastructure to measure those emissions as well. Oh yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's where the investment comes in. You know that infrastructure, whether it's you know measuring you know enteric methane, we're we're using technology, both ourselves and yourselves are using technology called. Uh, green feed, green feed technology. It's a, a device that basically we travel after the cows in, in each of the paddocks, and that has kind of revolutionised how we measure some of this um, uh, these emissions. Because you know in the past we were using techniques that weren't very robust, that were probably um, you know you'd be you wouldn't be able to track the animals over a long period of time with them. With the technology we have now, we can we can monitor animals right throughout a grazing season. And and that has opened up our eyes to maybe some of the questions. And and this is something that we talk about quite a bit in the last year or two. You know, the amount of, you know, what we're measuring now versus what we maybe thought our animals were emitting is substantially lower in grazing systems, um, particularly on the dairy side. And and that's that's important. We have, you know, um, when we look at the literature, it's probably there was some evidence that that was there, you know, in different studies that we had done and that, that you had done, um, but we hadn't the full season, so we couldn't be confident. Now we're much more confident because we have the full season, we can see the pattern. And, you know, we, we're in conversations with different groups, whether it's in the Netherlands or in, in New Zealand, and they're quite surprised because they're measuring the same thing and finding the same thing. Um, so, you know, grass quality, particularly in the spring, is showing extremely low enteric methane numbers. And um, that, you know, understanding 
and to be honest, we don't fully know why. And getting our heads around why that's happening is going to be really important going forward. Because, like, for example, that really low number that we're getting in the spring, can we expand that to the summer and to the autumn? What do we need to do and how we manage grasses to get that to continue to the um, summer and autumn? And if we can, that's a that could be a huge win in the reduction of enteric methane. So there's a win there in terms of reducing our absolute numbers and... You know that conversation has to 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 happen in terms of our how our national inventory models are calculated. And to be fair to the EPA, uh, in general, once there's good science, they're 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 quite strong at taking on that science and including the models. So, updating our models, uh, be it our own life cycle assessment models and our own inventory models, that's that's a step that we need to do now based on the the, the literature, and um, based on what we're generating, based on what you're generating. Um, that's the first step and then get an understanding of why we're seeing those low, low numbers in the spring and see can we extend that for more of the year and that could be really exciting in terms of grass-based systems and reducing overall numbers and I think that's a really important point when we look at what the industry needs to do and what the decisions need to be we need to be very careful we're making those decisions from the correct starting point absolutely absolutely and that's you know to be fair you know we're, what we've learned I suppose in the last couple of years is that we're probably we're not in that right place now um and and that there is opportunities there and they'll, they'll happen over the next year I, I i'm pretty confident of that um and then from there once we increase our understanding can we make bigger gains from what we're understanding about those changes throughout the grazing season and and what, what really really shocked me recently is that i was in brussels at a, a you know kind of a conference or a workshop on some of this stuff and you know the dutch are there and they're finding the exact same thing they're questioning you now the dutch isn't known for being a very strong grass-based system but they're finding the same thing uh, as we are so so that's really really interesting you know when you have a non-grass-based system essentially showing the same numbers as we are so so i think there's opportunities and i think there's you know but, but obviously we need to understand why this is happening so that we can see can we do something to manage our pastures differently that uh, potentially we can we can get that effect right throughout the, the, the grazing period. It's interesting you mentioned the Dutch outlook and the Dutch situation because we hear a lot in the media about challenges facing the, 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 the industry in the Netherlands and you know cow numbers being reduced and farms being taken out of productivity as well. So you know there maybe there's a little bit of a warning there that we do need to continue to focus on on reducing our emissions let it be of methane or of nitrogen or everything else to, to, to retain control of those solutions within the industry's hands. Uh, absolutely uh, yeah absolutely it should be as a warning to us but i suppose you know you stand back and you look at the, the netherlands and we are you know we are you know i don't think we could be more different in terms of uh, intensity of agricultural production in terms of you know we, we talked about policy earlier and you know milk quotas came in in ireland when we had roughly you know five billion liters of milk being produced uh, across the size of you know Ireland when you look at the Netherlands at that stage they were producing you know 10 11 billion liters of milk with the size of Munster and, and that's where quotas capped the industries and um, you know we are in a completely different space to to the Dutch we're a grazing system so our animals are very much connected to um, you know the land whereas if you look you know the Dutch they're, they're, that is not the case you know there's a lot of feed being brought into the system a lot of feed being brought from other countries and, and I think that's an important point you know you know what what are we trying to do in our systems we're trying to take 
uh, a material which is not human digestible in the form of grass and convert it to something that's human human digestible. And that's simply is what, what we're doing. The more we move away from that, um, the less justification there is for our systems as a whole. So, so we need to keep remembering that. That's what we're trying, that's our objective of our system. And if you go back to the basics, we're taking sunlight and converting that sunlight through the photosynthesis process into material that, that, that humans can eat. So I suppose if you stand back then and look, look further, is there more of the Irish uh, land that could be, con could be in tillage? Probably is. But by and large, the vast majority of the land that's in grass can't really be used for cropping. So if for food production, um, you know, ruminant grass-based systems are, are as good as it's going to be, you know. And, and sometimes that, I think that's lost a little bit in the arguments around, you know, emissions and everything. You know, we have to be we have to think about advantages of where the food should be should be produced it's not just about um you know where it's uh, the overall emissions but it's also where where globally are the advantages of producing one type of food versus another and that should be part of the consideration and i think that was something that maybe came came, came out at the recent asa conference in lyrat and you know to, just to, to focus on asa for a moment you were the first recipient of the of the asa fellowship which was really focused on I suppose communicating the message for our agri-food sector uh, to outline the challenges, but also to, to outline the good work that's been done in the industry and the direction of travel. Yeah, and, and for me, the focus was to try to get out, you know, like we were trying to look at, you know, ways of maybe Irish agriculture becoming climate neutral. And climate neutral is a very, you know, it's a very vague term. What is climate neutral? And I suppose if you look at the literature, we took a definition of preventing any additional warming. And when you look at that, um, you, you know, it's it's not impossible to imagine Irish agriculture, even, you know, within the next 15 years to be in a situation where it's not creating additional warming. And there's a number of things that have to happen to do that. One, uh, how we count the um, warming associated with uh, methane needs to be uh, part of a consideration. And again, need to be very clear, it's additional warming we're talking about here, you know, um, and and there's a I suppose a, t a calculation or a methodology called GWP star, um, and there's others you know GTP depending on what you're trying to achieve, uh, that can be used to look at warming relative to to the gas, and I suppose from you know if we look at our our overall emissions profile using how we cal calculated at the moment, um, you know methane accounts for about seventy percent of our overall overall emissions in terms of agriculture. If we count it a slightly different way and talk about the additional warming uh, part associated with, 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 I suppose, agriculture, essentially using the GWP star is a probably a more appropriate calculation. And basically what the stats tell us is that a 10% roughly reduction, so we still have to reduce. There's no point in, in getting away from that. We still have to reduce. But roughly a 10% reduction in methane between now and roughly 2040 um, would result in no additional warming from, from uh, methane. And, 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 you know, if you take out 70% of your emissions, um, you're in a much better place in terms of, of that additional warming part. So that's the first part. The second part then is when we look at uh, our nitrous oxide. So a nitrous oxide is roughly in 2021 was about 5.7 million tons. So what do we need to do there? And again, that's what we talked about earlier, moving away from, you know, can-based fertilizers, moving to the protected ureas or reducing chemical nitrogen levels. 
uh, having more, uh, I suppose, accurate emission factors from uh, nitrous oxide from the individual animals, all that combined, maybe we can get that from 5.75 down to, to, to 4 million tons, for example. And the rest then we're talking about offsetting and how do we do that? And, you know, I suppose the big part here is what is the sequestration uh, potential of, of Irish soil? So at the moment in our inventory, we assume that our mineral soils are sequestering roughly 2 million tons. So roughly about half a ton of CO2 equivalent per hectare per year across um, 4 million hectares, roughly 2 million tons. But on the flip side, where the, the inventories assume that our peat soils, our drained peat soils, are losing roughly about 9 million tons. So, you know, if we exclude forestry, the assumption in the national inventory at the moment is that our soils are actually a source of emissions rather not rather than a sink and that comes as a bit of a surprise to some some individuals and in particular farmers the truth behind all that is that we actually don't have a very strong we don't have very strong information of what our mineral soils are are sequestering or we don't have very strong information on what our peat soils are losing or actually what the what the what the water table levels are on our peat soils so there's a huge amount of work going on at the moment, uh, you know, through projects like NASCO funded by the Department of Ag, through uh, projects like uh, Vista Milk, where essentially we're trying to get good information on what the emissions are from our mineral soils, what the emissions are from our peat soils, and I suppose what the impact of management is on increasing or decreasing uh, those uh, sequestration levels. But like, it's not unimaginable to think that, you know, if our peat soils are overestimated dramatically if our mineral soils are underestimated dramatically it's not unimaginable to to think that um, actually our our soils might be in equilibrium equilibrium or actually they might be actually net um, sinks rather than sources so you know and and the question then is what do we need to do once we have that information you know like our you, you made the point earlier and i think it's very valid around uh, knowing where we are to start by but once we have that information then we can implement management you know whether it's you know how we recede swards how we manage swards grazing versus silage uh, to look at uh, you know i suppose increasing the amount of sequestration so all in all tell me what, what i think the conclusion from that piece of work was that it's not unimaginable for agriculture even in the mid 2030s to be in a status that it can it can you know be realistically saying it's not causing additional warming but for that to happen we need to reduce enteric methane or reduce methane overall by about 10 percent um, and obviously if we go further that's better uh, we need to reduce nitrous oxide you know substantially and we need to get really strong information on what's happening in, in terms of sequestration in terms of of loss from our soils and once you know put all those in a package um, it, it, it's quite possible that agriculture could actually be the first um, sector in the country to be to be climate neutral, and and obviously that's completely different to the narrative that's out there, um, but it's 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 not unimaginable. And I think that's a really positive message for for the industry, Lawrence. But there's there are a number of steps to get from where we are today to get to that, and and you and I live and breathe this every day. Uh, farmers and individual farmers have their herds to manage, their swords to manage, and now to have all this. I suppose, change the need to make from an environmental perspective. So how can we package that message for our farmers so that they're not overwhelmed oh, along yeah. with everything else they need to be doing? And, and it's really, really, really important that we do that. And um, for me, the most important message that we can give out is that there are technologies that we can implement today. And that's, you know, your fertilizer type technologies, your 
EBI type technologies that will, will reduce emissions and will get us on the journey. Uh, in the background, there is work that we're, we all need to be doing in terms of ourselves and yourselves need to be doing on, on developing, you know, other ways of reducing methane. Like we didn't talk about manure methane, it's about 2 million tons, um, you know, or 11, 12% of the total methane emissions. Like what, you know, there's probably lots of things we can do in that field. And it's probably much easier from the point of view of you don't have individual animals. Um, you, you know, you can potentially come up with a solution to treat an individual tank and 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 that could be part of your solution so from our point of view we need to to be developing those solutions and then i suppose for me the urgent thing is and and you know we've had you know 2020 uh, the last you know 2019 showed a substantial reduction in emissions but in reality 2020 and 21 showed increases so we need to turn that tide we need to have those emissions going down rather than going up uh, and once you know we we start implementing the technologies that we have that's the first thing farmers can do and then um, we can we can look at trying to implement these new technologies that we're developing along the way. Maybe to, to change focus for for a moment, Lawrence, before we finish up, you're involved in ed- educating undergraduate students. You have a, a long track record in supervising postgraduate students, and you know I think looking at it, there's, there's great opportunities in the industry. There are huge challenges. What advice would you have for maybe some of our younger ASA members who are graduating in the next few months and starting off in their careers? Yeah, so yeah, I suppose you know probably the first thing is that you're not going to be bored. Um, you know, the challenges, you know, keep changing um, and, you know, those changing challenges bring opportunities. So that's 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 a good thing. Uh, I suppose the most important thing for me is that hard work is generally, unless you're very unlucky, always rewarded. So, you know, putting in hard work um, right throughout your career, wherever it is, generally, you know, will help you uh, along the way. And I suppose for me, anyway, the big thing is that, you know, education is, is never a burden. And I suppose... You know, allowing yourself to be open-minded enough to look at the opportunities as they arise, you know, whatever those opportunities are, that'll be important in the overall scheme of things because, you know, there's going to be lots and lots of opportunities. We're, you're struggling, Tommy, to get uh, postgraduate students. We're struggling to get postgraduate students. Um, you know, so there's there's lots of opportunities. Uh, it's just putting yourself in the position to, to avail of those opportunities. And that's, you know, that's something that I, I think is is probably key to all walks of life at all times. Excellent. Lawrence, really appreciate your time today. I know you're busy. Uh, we'll continue to look at the work coming out of Moorpark and out of East the Milk with interest to help address the challenges facing our industry. Thank you. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah.